The following audio is from Life Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information about our church, please visit lifebaptistchurch.com. I'm going to start by giving us a, a quick snapshot of where I'm going. So the title of today's sermon is Be Like the Teacher. Our anchor text is Luke chapter 6, verse 40. So if you'd like to go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 6, verse 40, maybe put your finger on there. I'll be there in just a few minutes. My goal today is to approach this particular text with fresh eyes because I'm convinced that this verse is vitally important to living as a Christian, particularly in today's culture. Before we go any further, I just need to pray one more time with you all. Lord, would you be with us now in this moment? Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. And I ask, Lord, that you continue to to teach us what you were teaching your disciples in the first century, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Okay. I'd like to begin by describing two groups of people. Okay, you can consider this a tale of two groups. The first group of people, uh, they are gathering together, they're praying together, they're worshiping together, they're going out into the streets and they are preaching the gospel boldly. They are preaching the gospel boldly. So much, in fact, that the leaders of the day, they're ordering them to be silent, be quiet. But this group is not listening. And they are continuing to preach And they are now getting arrested. Some of them are getting killed. But it doesn't matter because two things are happening. Number one, they're being obedient to what Jesus commanded, which is to go and make disciples. And number two, their numbers are growing day by day by day. This group who is sticking together through thick and thin, their numbers are getting bigger by the day. This group, this first group, is the early church in first century Jerusalem. The second group is today. So I'm going to grab my remote. I'm going to fast forward 2,000 years. The second group I'm going to characterize with a couple of studies here. Nearly 40% of Christians today prefer to do their own discipleship alone. Nearly half of Christians feel afraid to speak up about their faith. Also, nearly half of Christians admit that they avoid spiritual conversations for fear of being rejected. Only 19% of Christians actively seek opportunities to share their faith. 19%. Christianity in this country is getting smaller and smaller, while the number of people who say they have no faith is getting bigger and bigger. So I'm holding these two groups up. I'm comparing them. One is not like the other. But I'm wondering, there's a question that comes to my mind as I consider these two groups, and I'm wondering if it's popped into your mind. What are we missing? What are we missing in the 21st century that the, the other group in the first century was not missing? I think a very crucial answer to this particular question can be found in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. So would you read along with me here? It says, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. So this is Jesus. Uh, he is just... Uh, done his Sermon on the Mount. He's been through the Beatitudes. He's continuing to spend time teaching his disciples, and he says this very thing in here. And I I said a moment ago, this verse is tremendously important. I'm going to go so far as to say Jesus thought this verse was tremendously important. You know why I say that? Because, Because he says this four times in slightly different contexts throughout the Gospels to his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. That's one. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 40. This is where we're at right here. He says it again in John chapter 13, verse 16. And then he says it again in John chapter 15, verse 20. As a matter of fact, by the time he gets to John 15, he says, hey, remember that word that I said to you? And then he repeats this particular principle. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Well, if it's important enough for Jesus to, to be repeating this over and over to his disciples, I think it's important for us to take a look. So there are several noteworthy observations to make as we consider this particular principle, and I'm just going to kind of go down the line here uh, with you. The first noteworthy observation is that this verse applies to everyone in the church. Take a look at that first part. A pupil is not above his teacher. So if we look at the Greek word for pupil here, we see it's the same word used for disciple. So really, we should read this verse as a disciple is not above his teacher, or maybe even a disciple is not above his rabbi. And as a matter of fact, the, uh, some of the other translations of the Bible have it as such. A disciple is not above his teacher. Here's something interesting related to that. So remember that, that first group, group number one? They were praying together. They were worshiping together. They were going out and they're preaching the gospel boldly together. You realize they were not Christians? To be, to be technically correct, they were not Christian. They didn't refer to themselves as Christians. Christian, the word Christian shows up in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and it, it comes from the outside. It comes from people who are not believers looking in, trying to use a word to describe the church in Antioch. And you know what? The, the word was not meant to be uh, a compliment. The word was derogatory. It was kind of dismissive. As a matter of fact, we know this because if you jump ahead to Acts chapter 26, verse 28, this is the moment where Paul is in the court. He's been arrested, and now he's appealing to King Agrippa. He's, he's telling King Agrippa his testimony. He's trying to persuade King Agrippa. King Agrippa says to Paul, what are you going to do, Paul? You going to make me a Christian like you? Dismissive. It's a derogatory word. So if this group in the first century did not refer to themselves as Christians, then the question is, what did they refer to themselves as? Disciples. Jesus didn't even call his followers in the Gospels. He did not call his followers Christians. He called them disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the word Christian. I think it's a very helpful term, especially today. And I'm not saying that we should just throw out the word Christian here. What I am saying the point that I'm getting at is the body of believers in the first century was made up of disciples. And if it was true then, it's still true today. Nothing has changed. That means that if you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a disciple. Jesus is talking to you in this particular verse. He's talking to me. He's talking to all of us. The second noteworthy observation here is that Christians do not get to be picky. Again, a pupil is not above his teacher. By the way, when I, I'm going to get to the end here, and I'm going to spoil it for you. Our teacher is Jesus. I don't know if you're aware of that. I don't, I don't know if you like spoiler alerts, but spoiler alert, our teacher is Jesus. I've just spoiled the ending. But um, if our teacher is Jesus, we are not above Jesus and what he did. Here's the thing. People naturally want to lean away from what is difficult and what is challenging. It's in our human nature. We want to lean towards what is more convenient, what is perhaps even more popular to do. But we don't get to pick and choose which aspects of Jesus we want to be like. We must be like Jesus completely. Let me give you an example of this. I like to throw a good house party, okay? Anybody out there been to my house before? There you are. Um, two. 
I'm gonna, the next one, I'm going to invite all of you, okay? Just so you know. I like to throw a good house party. I like to start off kind of slow. Nobody knows what's happening. Then later it gets crazy and everyone gets arrested. It's a great time. I made all of that up. But here's the thing. I have an unspoken rule for house parties. Do not go in my master bedroom. Do not go in my... Is anybody like me? Don't go in there. There are things that are in there. I'm just a little private in that sense. I, I, I got some things in there I don't want every single person to see. You have free reign as a guest in my house to go into my kitchen. You can go into the fridge. You don't have to ask. Grab whatever you want. You can use my guest bathroom. Go into the backyard. Go into any other room in the house. But you do not get to go into the master bedroom. I get to pick and choose which rooms in my house that you get to go into. But we don't get to pick and choose with Jesus. If you have invited him into your house, he has free reign to enter every single room in your house. He has free reign to go in there and to change anything that he wants. Christians don't get to pick and choose which aspects of Jesus that they want to emulate. As a matter of fact, Jesus touched lepers. Jesus wept. Jesus was grieved to the point of death. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Little interesting story. Jesus washing his disciples' feet, uh, that's in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. Did you notice? So it took me a couple times because I'm a little slow before I have coffee. Jesus, when he was washing his disciples' feet, he washed Judas's feet. Do you realize that? He knew full well what Judas was going to do, what Judas was preparing to do, and he washed his feet anyway. What kind of challenging service is that? If Jesus is, is is capable of doing something like that. We are not above it. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was killed. And if he was those things, we are not above being mocked, beaten, and killed ourselves. We don't get to pick and choose whether to, whatever is easy and convenient, friends. And I wonder if in this very blessed um, American culture, we really are very blessed. We're still living in the after effects of tremendous blessings of God in this country. Even though the, the culture is hostile, I'm going to acknowledge that out loud, but we are still blessed I wonder if in this blessed culture, we lean away from what is more difficult, what will challenge us or cost us something, and we lean towards what is more convenient, what is more popular, what is everybody else doing? And then we justify it to ourselves. Friends, I've heard Christians say this, um, to justify not doing something that would cost them something. You know what? That's not my calling. You know what? That's not my gifting. You know what? That's not my season. Not right now, anyway. And you know what? I'm guilty of that as well. To be completely transparent with you, I'm guilty of that as well. But we are not above our teacher. If he did so, then we can too, and we should. The third important observation here is disciples are not merely learners. Okay, let me go to the second half of the phrase here. But everyone after he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Fully trained, very interesting. Let me just go ahead and zoom in on that particular phrase. A couple things come to mind when I see this particular phrase. Uh, number one, Jesus wants you to be trained, not merely learned. There's a difference. And I've heard explanations of discipleship uh, in the past that say something along the lines of, well, you see, to be a disciple is to be a learner. Okay. I mean, that's okay as far as it goes. The thing is, I suspect that if uh, we hear that, we tend to think of learning in the 21st century sense. And I think now I'm starting to touch on the issue. The original question was, what are we missing in the 21st century that the first century was not missing? I think now we're starting to touch on it a little bit. I think we're, I think we're thinking of discipleship and we're thinking of Christianity as if it's just learning. Recently, um, I consulted with a parachurch organization. They're a huge organization. 
they're a bunch of great guys. They love the Lord with all of their heart. I don't think that there's any doubt of that. They put on these large events. Thousands of Christians come in from all across the country. Well, they had uh, invented technology. It was a computer program that essentially would, um, the, the program would disciple someone. Now, let me, let me say that again. Did you hear me? The computer program would essentially disciple a person. And it would, they would do so through like games, um, some pieces of information would pop up, and then like videos and stuff. Now, I gave pushback on that because I think that the, the, the fundamental assumption that kind of stands on top of this idea of creating technology in such a fashion is that discipleship really just hinges on information. As long as we have the proper information, discipleship is taking place. No, friends, that is not true. That is not true. We already have tons of information, by the way. We're not lacking in information or lacking in learning. There's tons of information available to us. I heard someone say once that the average North American Christian is about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. Again, that's because a lot of us have bought into this idea, this mindset, that information is all we need, information. And by the way, our way of, of learning, did you realize that it's actually more in line with the Greeks? The Greeks were in love with knowledge. That's all they wanted. They wanted more knowledge. As a matter of fact, there is a picture of this. You get a great picture of what I'm saying to you right now in the book of Acts. In uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 21, Paul goes to Athens. It says, now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in, listen, nothing other than telling or hearing something new. That's it. Today, I think we call these people information junkies. And you know what? I think a lot of us have become like that. We're not looking at the Bible as a Jew. I had a mentor uh, years ago I heard him say that when we come to the scriptures, we really should do so as if we were looking over the shoulder of a Jew. But what we do here is we, we actually um, come to the scriptures as Greeks. We love learning. We've adopted the Greek's philosophy of learning, and we've let it shape our understanding of Christianity. Many of us think that if we can just learn new pieces of information, that's what makes us a better Christian. So we read the Bible, and we learn all about that, and we listen to good sermons, and we learn all about that. We download podcasts, we watch videos, and we learn all about that, and we just keep receiving more information and more information to the point that all we're doing is learning. This is all wrong, ladies and gentlemen. The principle that rests inside the verse, the principle that I think answers the question that we started off with in the beginning is a lot of discipleship aims at information. Biblical discipleship takes us further to imitation. We have to imitate our teacher. We have to be like him. There was a book uh, written a while back. It's called Reaching Out Without Dumbing Down. And in it, the author says this, quote, television has habituated its watchers to a low information action ratio. That people are accustomed to learning good ideas, even from sermons, and then doing nothing about them. I think this reveals one of the issues with modern Christianity. We know an awful lot about a lot of different things. We have knowledge at our fingertips the difference is we don't obey what we already know. Robbie Gallaty, he's an author of a really great book. I, I encourage you to grab it if you get a chance. It's called The Forgotten Jesus. Uh, Robbie Gallaty says, we have educated ourselves beyond our obedience. And I think, again, we're touching on the answer to this particular question. What are we missing? We have to imitate our teacher. But that means, though, 
that discipleship then falls into a specific structure. Biblical discipleship falls into a specific structure, and it's in relationship. The dynamic of discipleship is actually relationship between teacher and student. You see the phrase there, fully trained. Maybe I can characterize it as trainer and trainee. So in other words, if we are to be trained, then it follows we need a trainer. Friends, we need mentors in our lives. We need a community of people who are more spiritually mature, people who have been around the block several more times than us. Perhaps they've uh, kind of made some mistakes in the past. They can head us off at the past when, when we're about to make the same mistakes, when we're about to head to the same spiritual ditch. We need to surround ourselves with these people because you know what? These people are imitating Jesus Christ, and we can look to them. We can imitate them as they imitate Jesus. This is why Paul says to the church in Corinth, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. There's the structure. The Corinth, the Corinthians, they're imitating Paul as Paul is imitating Jesus, and at the end of the day, everyone imitates Jesus. Last observation. Our training must transform us. It must transform. God does not desire that we remain exactly the same or that we even approach discipleship as some kind of a tool that, you know what, I wonder if this could fit into my schedule. The training that we do must transform us from the inside out so that we are like Jesus. That means every day, day-to-day activities, all things, we must act like Jesus. We must be bold like Jesus. We must obey what he said. Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. The disciples' experience in the first century trades on a combination of training and imitation. Okay? It is not learning in the sense that we do it today. I'm a public high school teacher, and uh, when I'm teaching something in the class, I see my students. By the way, there's not a lot of learning going on. Were you aware of that in the public high schools? Um, you were thinking it. I'm just saying it out loud. The, when I have something to offer... In terms of a lesson, students are sitting there and they got their feet up and they'll write three words down and then they'll get back up on their phones. Passive learning. That's not, what this is going, that's not what's going on with discipleship here. And by the way, ironically, we have jobs, we have certain jobs today that actually um, emulate the biblical model of discipleship. Um, teaching is one of them. So I went to grad school uh, to become a teacher and the first thing I had to do is I had to take classes and learn a bunch of things, take notes. Well, at the end of the program, I had to do what's called an internship. And so an internship means that I had to go to an actual school and sit under an actual teacher in a real world uh, classroom setting. The teacher was called the master teacher and I had to submit to them. I had to learn from them. By the way, master teacher, do you, do you realize this one's for free? Um, rabbi literally means my master. Okay, that one's for free. So anyway, so I had to sit under the master teacher. And I had to take notes while they were teaching their class. And then at some point in a, in a span of a few months, I transitioned. All of a sudden now I'm helping out. I'm assisting the master teacher as they teach their class. And then again, more transition. A few months goes by. Now the master teacher is sitting back and watching me as I teach the rest of their class. And if I prove myself capable enough, then I get to go on and teach my own class. This is actual biblical discipleship right here. That structure. And it's more akin to something called apprenticeship. So we do have jobs that follow this particular model. I'm wondering, though, if we understand discipleship as such. Because I see classes all the time, master classes. You take this class online, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to meet anybody. Just take these discipleship classes and you're good in two weeks. 
I think once this sinks in, friends, that our goal is imitation. It's to be like Jesus. I think we'll begin to see that this concept actually echoes everywhere in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple of places. 1 Corinthians 4, 16. This is Paul. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy. Now stop. If you hear that, that doesn't quite make any sense. Except he goes on. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways, I'm sending Timothy. There's the structure again. The Corinthian church imitates Timothy, while Timothy imitates Paul, while Paul imitates Jesus. And at the end of the day, everyone imitates Jesus. That's the structure. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, I just read it a few minutes ago. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Ephesians 5.1, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And here is the sweet, sweet verse, Romans 8.29. This is the ticket to the whole ballgame right here. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Here's an eight-solid translation. Uh, he predestined to be like Jesus. That is a beautiful promise. If you believe in Jesus, if you are seeking God with all of your heart, if you are obeying what God tells you to do, and by the way, obeying means um, succumbing to this discipleship process. The promise here is that God will change you from the inside out by the power of his Holy Spirit. That is a sweet promise that you can trust time and time again. So here's the verse, but I think the next logical question is, well, what does it look like? Some application. What does it look like to be like Jesus? I think there are a couple of ways. I'm going to give you some things, but just know that this is not an exhaustive list. Number one, we have to love like Jesus. We have to love like Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. You see that right there? Even as I have loved you, love like me. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And what does it look like when Jesus loved people? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. 1 John 4.10 tells us it was an act of love that brought Jesus down to, he- uh, to earth and then up to the cross. Look at the cross. And the question is, do we love people like that? Are we willing to lay down our lives for others like Jesus did? Because again, we live in a blessed culture. It's very blessed. I don't see Romans running around with nails and crosses today. But uh, so let me dial this back a couple dials just to make it a little bit of an easier application question. In this blessed time, what are we willing to lose for the sake of others? If not our lives, what else? Are we willing to lose our house? Are we willing to lose our jobs? Are we willing to lose our paychecks or our livelihood for the sake of others? We got to love like Jesus. Also, we need to pray like Jesus. So last week, Tim Detellis was here. He showed us um, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, what it looked like when Jesus prayed. And there were a couple of characteristics to take note of. Number one, he sought solitude. He sought quality time away with God so that the focus could be on God. And number two, he did it as part of his custom. He did it consistently. It was part of his routine. Are we doing that like Jesus? Are we praying like Jesus? Are we loving like Jesus? Let me give you another one. Are we serving like Jesus? We got to serve like Jesus. Jesus came to be a servant. Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There's the cross again. What did it look like when Jesus served? Practically speaking, remember when I was talking about Jesus washing his disciples' feet? Remember when I said that Judas was there? We must be willing to serve like that. 
Not simply in popular and convenient ways that don't cost us. We need to be willing to serve others, whether it's a friend or whether it's a Judas. We need to serve in the same way as Jesus. And finally, we need to be able to speak like Jesus. You know, it's interesting. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Paul was in John chapter 7. Next week, I imagine he'll be back in John. Um, And he was talking about how the officers were sent to arrest Jesus. They couldn't even do it. You want to know why? John 7, 46, the officers said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. When Jesus spoke, there were a couple of characteristics to take note of. And I would argue that this is a good Bible study to do. If you just go back through the gospel, just take a look at how Jesus spoke every single time. You'll notice that he was engaging. People marveled at what he said. He asked the right kinds of questions. He was intentional. Jesus never f- sort of fumbled his way backwards into a situation, and he, you know, he's realized like 10 minutes later, hmm, I think this might be a God moment. Interesting. Jesus was always intentional. He always had a game plan, and finally, Jesus was challenging. Jesus got down to business. He didn't waste his words. He didn't waste an opportunity, and he challenged people to wrestle with their beliefs. This is what we must do. Now, If we're not careful, I think we might walk away thinking that, well, you know, like being like Jesus just means learning more things. Look, I've pointed to verses. Let's just learn them. That's not what I'm saying. I I mean, we need to go further than that. We need to go further. I'm saying that the discipleship structure in this verse is such that once you've read it, you have to train. You have to be around people who are spiritually mature. You have to find a mentor. So that means if you're not regularly attending church, let me encourage you, you got to start going to church regularly. This is where you will meet people who are spiritually mature. If you are attending church, you got to get involved in a small group because this is where you will develop closer bonds of relationship with people who are seeking to imitate Jesus too. If you know someone right now as I'm speaking and you're thinking, that's Curtis. I don't know. If you're thinking, that's so-and-so in my life that I know, he imitates Jesus well. She imitates Jesus very well. Why don't you go ask them to mentor you? Why don't you submit under their authority? so that you can follow the biblical model of discipleship that Jesus has laid out here? Let me say this one last time. Fight the urge to think that you've learned something interesting today, and that's all you have to do, because if that's what you think, you're going to walk out of here, you're going to forget everything I said tomorrow. You need to be trained, ladies and gentlemen. Training entails obedience. You need mentors, people you can submit to. And by the way, if we do this, if we imitate Jesus in this fashion, if we are like him in the things that he did You know what will flow naturally out of that? Replication. Replication. We will make more disciples. And that is the Great Commission in a nutshell right there. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, which includes making more disciples. Now, I should mention, um, just in closing, John LaGrange and I are currently going through a series on discipleship, on being like Jesus, like the teacher. And this is what is happening every single time that you see a group shepherds training announcement. So if you are a small groups member, if you lead a small group or not, if you are someone who just desires to go a little bit deeper in the things that I've started to talk about with you, um, I encourage you to come look out for the next group shepherds training, go talk to John LaGrange out there, and then just come join us. It is time well spent. So here's what our original question was. What are we missing in the 21st century that the first The first century group was not missing. I think it rests, the answer rests in imitation. A lot of biblical discipleship aims at information, or excuse me, a lot of today's discipleship aims at information, but biblical discipleship pushes us further to imitation. So is your goal to be like our teacher Jesus?
Have you treated Christianity or discipleship as pieces of information that you can just simply learn? Or are you being fully trained so you can let Christ live through you? These are questions I ask myself every single day, and I encourage you to do the same, friends. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what it is that you have left for us. Thank you that you make yourself available to us so that we can seek you. But not only that, that we can seek people in community, the body of Christ. You knew ahead of time, before we were even born, this is the structure. This is how it's going to work. That we disciple and be discipled. That we are a Paul and we are a Timothy. At the same time, you laid all of this out for us. You thought about this ahead of time because you love us. And we love you, Lord Jesus. Would you let this message rest with us and would you let us act in obedience because of it? In your son's name, amen.